right, welcome to Fuse. Glad to have you guys. Are you glad to be back? I heard someone say no. Are we glad? Oh, <laughs> she's like, I love Fuse. Hate school. Don't tell my mom. Um, awesome. So she knows. She's well aware. Um, so we're going to start this series <clears throat> in the book of Jonah. And Jonah is a book that, um, who, who would say um, that you're like fairly familiar with the story of Jonah? Cool. Some of you may not be. Some of you, um, you know, it's funny. Church people, uh, especially people that grew up in church, always assume everyone knows the story. Now, there's kind of like a, a, even if you didn't go to church, you might know the idea that like there was a guy named Jonah. He was swallowed by a whale, but you really don't know much more than that. And so sometimes church people are like, everyone knows that story, but not everyone knows that story. Um, and then I would even say that a lot of church people, especially kids your age, uh, grew up with the, the, the kind of the, the little kid Sunday school version. And what I have to tell you is that um, it's probably got some deeper themes than you covered in like preschool ministry or kids ministry. And um, I'll just say it this way. There's going to be a sense in which you're going to like discover some things about this book that you may not have seen before. Um, and that will probably happen four years from now. So like if you're a, if you're a sophomore in high school right now, um, as a sophomore in college, you would understand this completely differently. And that's kind of the cool way God works and the Bible works. It's not that it changes, but that we, where our brains are able to kind of capture different kinds of information um, as we grow. And so you will probably see some things in this book that you've never seen before. So I hope that you'll remain open. Don't walk into this and be like, oh, I know the story. I know what he's going to say. Um, that would be the biggest mistake that you can make in church in general. Because we walk in with this like arrogance, like I know what he's going to say. I know what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, you're cutting God out from like this opportunity to share something with you that you need right now. And I quite honestly believe that God has placed like every single thing that we've taught this year right up until the last series that we do this semester, um, specifically for you, specifically for this school year, okay, specifically for this community, but, but more, more even than that, our student ministry and where we are and where we're headed. And so I really think it's important that we understand um, the book of Jonah, and I can tell you right now that we're going to be talking about this through uh, one theme well, over the cross of four weeks, four chapters, four weeks, one chapter per week, we're going to be talking about obedience, okay? We're going to be talking about obedience and what that means. And some of you are just like, I'm not a Christian, so do I have to be obedient? Some of you are saying, I am a Christian, and I haven't felt like I'm very obedient, but also, like, nothing's really changed. I, feel, I haven't felt like God has punished me yet, and so everything seems to be going fine. We're going to talk about all those themes, okay? Um, the book of Jonah is, like, constantly backwards from what you think should happen. Like, every chapter, there's something happening, and you're like, man, should have gone this way, went this way. He was supposed to go this way, and he ended up this way, all the way from chapter 1 to chapter 4. Um, the way I want to bring this up is that um, when I was a kid, I remember um, the very earliest moment where I, like, on purpose, um, did something wrong to rebel against not just my mom and my dad, but my grandma. My grandma, yeah, uh, that's big sin right there. Um, so my grandma came in town when I was like I was four or five years old, and like uh, like old school kind of child raising. Uh, they brought her in to kind of give me some of that like 
hardcore, like, we're going to get some, some manners in these two kids. I have, uh, it's me and my sister, and um, not that my parents couldn't do it, but they brought in reinforcements. Uh, and so um, grandma came, um, and I think my parents were off on a trip or whatever, and so she was like, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, kind of stuff. Uh, but I remember specifically there was one day, lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, I never want to do that again because uh, it's crazy cold and just boring. Um, so I had a really long driveway, and uh, my favorite toy as a kid was a big wheel. Anyone else? Like, big, you just remember those days. You're like, yes, preach. So um, I remember, like, the, the, the idea of the big wheel is great until you get to the end of the driveway and you've got to, like, stop. And so... Um, I never wanted to stop. I wanted to go as fast as I could and then never really stop. So there's danger, though, once you cross into the street. And so I remember specifically my grandma saying, just make sure that you slow down before you get to the street or whatever. And I was like, Ugh, you know, like you guys do to us um, sometimes. And, and so I decided to test the waters. I got all the way down, and I slowed down just enough to, like, like looking over my shoulder, making sure she's happy, she's good. And then she, like, kind of turns her, turns her shoulder and then I get off my big wheel, and then instead of, like, riding into the street, I just straight walk into the street. And it's kind of like um, Nemo, right? <laughs> He's like, Nemo, touch the butt. I was, like, walk. is like, kind of tiptoeing. And then she, she, like, caught my eye. She's got eyes in the back of her head. So she knew the whole time. We know, by the way, when you're sneaking. Just so you know, we're not stupid, okay? Because we did it, too. <laughs> we snuck. We see you sneaking. We get it. We're not stupid. We got eyes in the back of our head, too. So I'm walking out the street, and she said, Mark Hamilton Cox. Hamilton. <laughs> like none of y'all have, like, embarrassing family middle names, okay? But she used all three names. Everybody understand? Everybody understand what happens when all three of your names gets used? You in big trouble. You in big trouble. So she said, Mark Hamilton Cox. And I said, yes. And she said, you get your butt, like gritted teeth, bro. You get your butt back in the driveway. And I walked out into the street. And then I proceeded to lay down and like make a mat. It, wasn't, it was a like summer. It wasn't even snowy, but I was like making snow angels. And that was like the most rebellious I can remember being as like a four-year-old. And this is how we know. We are sinners inside of our deep, dark, black hearts um, because grandma, who traveled all the way from South Carolina to come, like, give us some, like, old school Southern manners, like, Mark was just like, I'm good. Um, and so I'm sure if we had open mic night, we could have every one of you share different rebellious moments. And there's, like, four-year-old you version, and then there's, like, now you version, which is you've probably stepped up your game a couple notches, and I talk to you about some of those, and I try to counsel you away from doing those things, because as, as we get older, don't we start to realize, like, there's danger in that? Yes. And isn't it important to remember, and this is for some reason, your, your little um, not fully formed brains can, can, can adequately understand, these are the rules, I'm not supposed to break them, and... The rules are there because my parents super care about me and don't want me to, I don't know, get run over while I'm making imaginary snow angels in the middle of the street. Like, it's not because they're like, I want to ruin your day. Shh. Nope, 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 nope. This is not open mic night. That's not how this works. Um, so what we all know 
is that rules are there on purpose. Think about street signs. Street signs are there for your, not to make you miserable. Speed limits aren't there just to make your life horrible because you want to drive 90 and a 35. But it's not safe for you to drive 90 and a 35. And I think our country is deemed that it's not ever safe to drive 90 because unless you're like in Montana, you can't drive that fast legally. So there's all these reasons that as we grow up, we start to like rebel against what our parents say and what our teachers say and what sometimes even our youth pastors say, shocker. And, um, and humanity, I want you to hear this, humanity has always had this tendency to like rebel against God or to run from God. Now, I'm not even just talking about like street signs or parents' rules. I'm just talking about straight up if there's a God, we chilling out here in the front row? Thank you. Um, if there's a God, and I believe there is, and he has set some rules, and I believe he has, we have a tendency to rebel against those things. And if you're paying attention to kind of the way we've structured some of these different series, um, Eli was... was um, he planned an incredible series called Seeking Faith these last three weeks where we talked about, do we believe that Jesus is a liar, a lord, or a lunatic? And so what we want to tack onto that is to say, okay, I want you all to hear me say this very clearly. If you believe Jesus is Lord, then what should that mean? And did Jesus, I'm sorry, did Jonah believe Jesus or that God was someone to be feared? Jesus hadn't come around yet. Um, and the truth is, Jonah, a prophet, for sure believed that God was to be feared, was to be respected, was to be served, was to be obeyed. But I think we all know he didn't. Now, before we get into the book of Jonah, I want to make sure that we're all clear about what the book of Jonah is about. Um, I said we're going to be talking about the theme of obedience and any one of us could probably decide, and I'm going to ask you to answer kind of in your own head and not out loud. We hear that in your own head and not out loud. If you had to pick one thing that the book of Jonah's about, one word, what would it be about? You might say, anyone got ideas in their head? What do you think the book of Jonah's about? I can tell you, in your head and not out loud. Um, I can tell you that um, some people would say, well, it's about Jonah. It's about this person. And that's a good answer. Some would say it's about a whale or a fish. There's some kind of debate. You know, you might say fish and someone else says whale, someone else says whale, someone else says fish. Um, someone says whale shark. <laughs> that's good. That's good, Eber. I didn't know. Whale sharks. That's good. Maybe we'll have like a whale shark study next next week. Um, you would probably be wrong because the book of Jonah is not primarily about the whale. It's not even primarily about Nineveh, the city that God is trying to reach. Because, um, if you can skip two slides ahead, the, uh, the word fish was used four times, the word Nineveh was used nine times, the word Jonah was used 18 times, but God... God or Lord in some form was mentioned 38 times. This book is about God. And let me just tell you, the Bible is about 
God. Sometimes we like to have this understanding, well, the Bible's about me. And the truth is, not really. The Bible's about God. The Bible's telling us the story of God from multiple different authors' perspectives over the course of like, I don't know, 1,500 years. Like 40 different authors or something like that. It's a lot. And the Bible is about God. Now, what's the number one thing on God's heart as far as his creation goes? It's us. It's humanity. It's humanity. And from the very beginning of the Bible, right, to the very end of the Bible, for the most part, humanity is rebelling against God. There's two great chapters where there's no rebellion. And then on the back end, there's like, like a chapter and a half or so of like heaven. But everything in between is a hot mess. And we're in the middle of that. And you're part of that. And I'm part of that. Why? Because humanity has always had a tendency to rebel against God or to run from God. It's in you and it's in me. None of us are perfect, but it's in you and it's in me. So the, the, the Bible's about God. The book of Jonah's about God. And we're going to be talking about it from the theme of obedience. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to read every single verse in this, in this book. It's honestly not much. In my Bible, it's one, two. Like there's two pages, four chapters. Um, it's, not, it's not very long. Today, we're going to read 17, chapter, uh, 17 verses. excuse me. And, oh gosh. Um, and so uh, I kind of want to read it all in one straight shot so that you, so you kind of get what's happening. We're going to read the first three verses. We're going to pause. Then we're going to read the whole thing. So first three verses, um, the book of Jonah kicks off. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Let me pause real quick. Um, it's important for you to know that the, the name Jonah means dove. And the name Amittai means truth. And so Jonah, I mean, he means dove, but he's also the son of truth. And so it's interesting. I heard someone say it this way. When storms come, birds are some of the first ones to, to get up and leave. And so that's kind of what, what is happening in this, in this book. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That means as a prophet, God is speaking to him. And that's something that only a couple, you know, prophets really got to experience. Go to Nineveh. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Not great, like, like great, like I love that city. Um, if you study Nineveh, you'll uh, learn very quickly that it was incredibly brutal. This is like if you've ever watched war movies or like stuff from the first few centuries. Um, this is obviously before the first, the first few centuries because this is like B.C. But these are people, Nineveh, okay, just to give you some context. Nineveh, they are uh, like Assyrians, and they are the ones who are so brutal that they will um, impale their enemies. You know what impale means? Essentially like stick a stick through you and then put that stick up so that you just, as you're finishing dying, you're also roasting in the sun. And that was just fun for them. They beheaded thousands of people and made like pyramids out of the schools at the city gates so that anyone entering knew where you were walking in. They, you wait for it. I don't feel like you've even got to the worst part. They skinned people and they used their skin for drums. Are you kidding me? That's like, that is, that is nuts. Okay, now, shh, shh. 
Now, we can all laugh at it. I really, I really want you to, again, middle schoolers, high schoolers, this isn't preschool and kids ministry. I want you to take this seriously. God called Jonah to go there and to preach against them. So put it in context. Okay, some of us are like, yeah, you know, God wants me to go invite my neighbor to church, but I'm super scared. It's like, that's not Jonah, okay? I'm kind of nervous to ask the Starbucks barista if they, if they love Jesus or not. Like, you do not know anything close to what Jonah's being asked to do, okay? This is suicide. And, and, and what I mean is, in a natural sense, like in your brain, this is like walking into like enemy territory in the middle of a war zone like you think you're going to die. So go to that great city. Is it a great city? It's a big city. It's a strong city. And call out against it or preach and proclaim against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose. Watch that word rose because what did God ask him to do? Arise. Arise and go to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? Arose and fled he fleed. He fleed to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. I happen to believe you sound drunk when you say Tarshish. Tarshish. It's a little side. You're welcome. So he paid the fare, paid for the ticket, and went down into it to go to them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I want to put a map up there for you so you understand kind of what you're dealing with. Okay? So he goes to Joppa instead of Nineveh. Joppa is like 500 miles from Nineveh-ish. And instead, he thought, no, I think I'm just going to go to Tarshish, which was way further away, like 2,500 miles. So he's really trying to avoid. He's going the wrong direction. He's going much further than God wants him to do. This man is running from God. Now, again, a funny little theme that you're going to kind of feel as you walk through this is how silly it seems that people like Jonah run from God. Adam and Eve, right? They realized they were naked and they were ashamed and they hid themselves, right? God says, where are you? Is it because God didn't know? No. God is like omnipresent. He's all-knowing. Like he knows where you are. You can't run from God. And so it's silly. We always um, give guys like Jonah a hard time. But we do the exact same thing. And sometimes we would not say like, I'm going to go board a ship and I'm going to run from God. No, you just like avoid doing the things that you know you're supposed to do. You avoid opportunities of worship. You just get lazy when it comes time to do things that are building your relationship with God. We just completely, we, we vote no with our actions, we run from God. We practically, we rebel. So that's how far away Jonah was running. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. We're going to read the whole rest of the chapter in one shot. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest or a storm on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Do they all worship God? No, 
They each cried out to his God. So this is like, I believe in this God. I believe in these gods. I believe in no God. I believe in the sun. I believe there's all these different people, and they're all crying out. These are not God-fearing men, okay? Um, the mariners uh, were afraid. They each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Verse 6. But Jonah had gone into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. You're going to see that word down a lot in this chapter, by the way. And the Hebrew mind, okay, so this is written in Hebrew. This is written to Jews. Um, this is written in Israel in the Hebrew mindset. And they're seeing this and they're thinking down, 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 not up, up, up. So there's kind of like an away from God when we're supposed to be going towards God. Um, so arise, call out to your God. This is, um, oh, sorry, let me go. So he went to the inner part of the ship. He lay down, was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God uh, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. That's crazy. The people who don't worship the real God are saying, hey, hey, you know Yahweh, Jehovah, that one? Why don't you start praying to him? Because it seems like maybe... This isn't doing anything, but your God might do something. So the prophet who is running and rebelling from God is not praying. And the other guys who are not like, not like Christians, we wouldn't call them Christians because Christ wasn't uh, there yet, but they're calling him to pray. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? Where is your country? Of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the man then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? <laughs> For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they, they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. The storm was growing. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Pause. This is suicide. There's no, there's, no, there's no surviving this. If you hurl yourself into a sea like that in calm waters, you might not be strong enough to swim all the way back to land or like live long enough to find driftwood to hang on to. Like this is a death sentence. And so he says, hurl me into this. He's still, he's so down in the dumps. He's so depressed from what's happening. He's running, 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 and he's like giving up. So he says, hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the, the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Have you noticed yet what these men who were worshiping other gods have now said? Oh, it's obviously this one. The, the contrast is nuts with this story because the people who are supposed to not be worshiping God are now worshiping God and praying to him and submitting their lives to him. The guy who's like supposed to be worshiping God and honestly was kind of holding a high rank as a prophet is like, Throw me into the sea. 
I give up. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. This was like a salvation moment for them. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, a couple things. This story is packed with meaning, okay? So I kind of want to go all the way back and cover some things because we're going to learn a lot from this story. First of all, in that first, like, three verses, in fact, can you just put that up on the screen? Um, Sorry, I know I'm asking you to go all the way back. Uh, The first three verses, we have just a clear call. If I can say it like this, if you're a Christian in here, okay, there's, there's, there's all kinds of different people in here. Some people are Christians have been following Jesus uh, for a long time, years maybe. Some of you uh, may not be Christians. Some of you may like have just become Christians like even two weeks ago. Like some of you may be baby Christians. But those of you, let me just talk to the people who have been Christians for a little while. A lot of you, you've been in church long enough. You've studied long enough. You've heard some of these scriptures and you know what and what not to do in the Christian life. And you know what it's like to be like, no, I'm kind of go do my own thing. There was a clear call from God to go to Nineveh and he ignored it. This is the same thing as you maybe sitting in Fuse or in LBS or reading your Bible for yourself and seeing a clear call from God to obey, to submit, to do something along the lines of like a command from God and you just saying like, nah, I think I'm good. I don't think I want to do that. I don't want to take part in that. I don't think I'm ready for that. I want to tell you, just let me just tell you, I love you from the bottom of my heart, and it is a dangerous thing to tell the God of the universe, no. The creator of the universe. Now, some of you disagree on the God of the universe. Some of you have doubts about the God of the universe. And this is where I would say, I'm stepping in and praying for you daily that God would reveal himself to you in ways that he's revealed himself to me. Not in some like the skies are parting. These, listen, these stories are in the Bible and they're few and far between and they really don't happen like that uh, day to day. But I'm telling you, if you are a bought in believer and you pray and you spend time growing in your relationship with God, in little ways, God starts to reveal himself to you through that Bible reading, through prayer, through church attendance, through your friends that go to church together. Like it may not happen to you now because Track with me here. Middle schoolers, I love you, but you haven't had the opportunity to learn as much. Like you're thinking deeply about things kind of like for the first time in your life as a middle schooler. High schoolers, right? You have a little bit more experience in learning about the things of God. And I would even say you have more of a reason to know that the creator of the universe is someone to be submitted to, not to be rejected or disobeyed. And the longer you live and the more you, you put yourself out there to understand God, you'll learn that. So let me just, if I can just go to uh, verse 4 real quick, that like the next slide, I want you to see something. This might break your understanding of Christianity. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. On purpose, not by accident. 
Like God hurled a storm at them. I'm even thinking about this. There's some guys out there who would come to know God in a very personal way, have like their salvation moment, but it wasn't their fault. The storm was there. So put yourself in, in the, uh, the mariner's position. Track with me. You might have storms in your life because the people you choose to hang around with invite that foolishness in your life, and because you decide to hang out with them, I have said over and over and over, the five people you spend the most time with, basically, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And you're like, oh, I don't understand why this bad stuff keeps happening to me. Like, if I could just, like, slap you upside the head and say, it is clear to the rest of us why these things happen to you. Because you make ignorant decisions. You put yourself around people who make ignorant decisions. Like, you're going to have ignorant results. And you're going to continue to. And I pray that you learn. Right? I'm someone who had to learn the hard way. I'm someone who kind of rejected God left and right. Like, I went to church, but I was like, this, I don't know about this God thing, this church thing. But then, like, something happened. It became personal for me. And I have not stiff-harmed him <laughs> Ever since, like when I was 15 years old, I was like, okay, like this is real. I'm submitting. Like I was a new creation from that point forward, 2 Corinthians 5.17 would say. The Lord hurled a great sea on them, a great storm on them. And then if I can just skip all the way, I don't even know, like verse 16 or 17, the Lord appointed a fish or a whale or a whale shark or whatever to swallow him up. Appointed. Ironic that the whale obeyed, <laughs> and Jonah didn't. I mean, honestly, like, everything in creation obeys. The grass, the trees, the sun, the moon, the stars obey. They pour forth speech that God is Lord. And humans are the ones who are just like, no. Nah. We think we're smarter. We think we're smarter than God. I love you. God will absolutely get your attention, listen to me, by bringing hard things into your life. This isn't just me, okay? I'm reading this and I'm saying like, oh, sometimes God hurls a storm. Now, sometimes storms happen. A lot of wind the other night. You know, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe like your trampoline flipped over the fence or whatever, like, Sometimes that stuff just happens. I'm not saying you're a sinner. Like our trampoline did that last year, and it's still sitting back there. I don't, you can't jump on it, but I'm too lazy to take it apart. But like that was just kind of like a storm happened. But I don't want you to be shocked when God uses circumstances in your life to get your attention. Is it always that? No. Is it sometimes that? It appears so. It appears that sometimes God is going to absolutely get your attention if you're going to run from him, okay? What are a couple of things we can learn from Jonah? The first is that we can't outrun God. It's like the most simple thing you could learn. You probably already knew it like in your brain. You know this in your brain. If you believe God is the creator all-knowing, all-seeing, all-present, everything, 
He is here with us right now. He is also a hundred years ago with our ancestors, and he's a hundred years from now with our our grandchildren. All at the same time. He's above time, space, everything. He created everything in six days. (laughs) You can't outrun this God. And God doesn't want you to outrun him. Psalm 139, I love this psalm. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there, like hell, essentially. If I uh, take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, and there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light uh, about me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Like, you can't outrun God. Maybe it would help you to understand that when you're in your moment of rebellion, God is right there with you. Would you do the things you do? Would you say the things that you say if you knew that right there next to you was Jesus watching? Would you look at the things you look at? Would you behave the way you behave if you knew God was right? He's there. Where can you go? You can't outrun God. Two, God fully equips us for what he calls us to do. Okay? Here's what I love about this. There's some good news in the middle of Jonah. There's some bad news in the middle of Jonah. It's like, it's a roller coaster ride. Jonah ends on an incredibly awkward note. Incredibly, it's not a happy ending. Okay, that's week four. But if you would just understand that when God says, okay, I've created you, I've made you in my image, I've given you principles to live by, and when you live by those, here's, I'm staking my whole life on this. I'm, I'm telling you, I believe this since I was 15. I believe that when we look at these principles, it's not like rules, do this, don't do this. It's like, this is guidelines for human flourishing. Like, 10 out of 10, best possible way to live is to live under his standards. I believe that to the core of my being, and I'm gambling on it. I bet my whole life on this. There's things I say no to. Why? Because I feel like the guidelines would say, "Ah, don't do that. There's things I do that I probably wouldn't do if I weren't a Christian. Why? Because they're there. Not because I'm like, well, I'm a very obedient little child of God. That's not it. I mean, it's part of it. But it's like, I think if he gives us guidelines, it's for our joy. It's for our good. And he equips you. How evil would God be if he called you to do something that you couldn't do and didn't offer you any help? You can't do it. The things he calls you to do. If you are terrified out of your mind to invite someone to fuse, do you know what happens? Listen, we went, we went to um, Washington, D.C. last week, a uh, week and a half ago, spent time doing submissions. Um, we honestly did a lot of manual labor, but, but quite honestly, there was a couple moments where we had to talk to, like, strangers. And listen, I'm 39, and I still hate talking to strangers. 
Like, it's not like every old man, how's it going? Not me. Like, I'm an introvert. I'd rather just be a hermit at home and never talk to strangers. But sometimes it's like, we're going to talk to strangers. And it's not just about it. It's about the gospel. Okay? That is terrifying. But God calls you to do it. Does he leave you by yourself? Absolutely not. There's a couple of verses I wanted to share with you. Hebrews, um, these are not going to be on the screen. Hebrews 13, 21. Um, may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. I think about Ephesians 2. Um, Ephesians 2 is God has created us for good works. Like at the very beginning of creation, like in those six days of creation, he knew that one day you'd be alive and he set all those good works for you to do in motion that, that you would be his workmanship or his poem, his masterpiece. He's saying, I'm, I've created you to do it. I'm not leaving you on your own. The third one, this is tough, and you're going to have to like wrestle with this one for a few weeks, so we'll just take our time. Sometimes suffering looks like, I'm sorry, rescue looks like suffering. In this case, being inside a whale for three days and three, night, three nights is not um, y'all spring break vacations that I heard about, which are awesome, okay? To be vomited up after three days and three nights I'm good. Like, I don't ever want that to happen to me. Like, almost, just eat me. I think I'd rather that than you, like, live there in, like, the guts, right? And, and to be, like, some historians say, like, he was, like, bleached white from all of the, like, stomach acids that he was swimming around in in there. <sighs> I know, right? Just eat me. Sometimes suffering looks like rescue. The Lord appointed a whale to eat him, to punish him. No, to save him, to save him. The fourth thing is that God never gives up on us. God never gives up on us. He has this eternal ability to somehow be patient when we turn our backs on him. I want everyone looking at me. God never gives up on you. Now, I want to tell you, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Some of us hear the message, God never gives up on us, and we decide, oh, so I'm just going to, like, do me for a couple years. I'm definitely not going to, like, be Christian through my college years. Those are supposed to be, like, my party years. And then, like, I'll get married, I'll have a job, and then I'll start to have, like, I'll, I'll be more disciplined. I'll be a Christian then, like, Tomorrow's not promised. There's a point in Romans. I don't believe God ever gives up on us, but there's a point in Romans where, where he says, I'm seeing you guys constantly choose your own way, so I'm just kind of, I'm going to give you over to those things. Now, does God stop chasing after them? I don't believe so. But he's going to let you, listen, wallow in your own sin like a pig in slop. It's disgusting to us. And I am like challenging you, challenging you. The God of the universe will not be mocked. Will not be mocked. Now, two ways you could respond to this. I don't want to pray for you, okay? Literally, I'm going to give you two opportunities here, and you can take one or the other. There's really only two options. I would say the wrong posture to take right now would be to, like, 
I mean, that's fine, but like, I'm just going to keep doing my own thing because I've got stuff I want to do. And I've got kind of a good thing going. And it seems like I haven't been punished. I live in a pretty nice neighborhood, have a pretty good life. Hadn't been punished yet. God will not be mocked. Wrong posture. Right posture is, God, what do you have? What's the next right step? What's next, God? And I would love, honestly, for the next rest of our semester to give you clear answers to that question. What's next, God? I think one of the problems that teenagers have is that they don't know how to grow in their relationship with God or how to take next step. Well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I was baptized. Like, is there anything else to do? Yes. Yes, absolutely. You may feel like you're in no man's land. If you feel like you're in no man's land, I want to be able to help you. Can I just ask your involvement? And then I'll pray and dismiss. If you don't know what next steps are spiritually for you, I want to do kind of like I did in the Real Talk series where we have you write down questions. But we're going to be covering a lot of different things that you can be doing right now as a teenager to grow in your faith. And some of them are obvious. Some of them you've never heard before. Okay? And I want to challenge you. But if you have questions, I want you to be bold and ask me. Ask Eli. Ask one of the leaders. Like, be bold, and I'll talk about it. I heard someone say, I thought we are going to talk about this in the Real Talk series. I'm like, you never told me. How am I supposed to know that you wanted to learn about that? So that's what I'm telling you. Okay? I want you to be, I want you to own this thing. Why don't you bow your heads real quick? I'm going to pray for you and we'll dismiss. Father God, I do pray that you would get a hold of us, that you would make yourself clearly known, that you would get a hold of some of us. I pray that if there are students in this room that are aching for those next steps, that are curious about those next steps, that they would, they would take one next step. Maybe it's something as simple as like, you know what? I keep hearing about this like quiet time I'm supposed to do every day. Maybe I should ask about that. I'd like to know how to pray. I have no idea how to pray. I'd like to talk about what it looks like to go on a mission trip or to serve right in my community to do something to make a difference. I pray that they would be bold enough to do that. And that this wouldn't just be like a, a come, a hangout, a leave, and nothing's different. I pray that you would get a hold of us. I think about that Nineveh song that we sang um, where there's Nineveh inside of us, where there's evil inside of us. I pray that you would reveal that to us and that we would submit and surrender because you are Lord and you are King. Lord, I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.